It's fair to say the Merseyside derby has been something of an uneven rivalry for quite some time. Since their golden era of the 1980s, the Toffees have found glory hard to come by. And in recent years, Jurgen Klopp has won everything there is to win with Liverpool. Everton fans remain deeply and understandably concerned by what's happening at the top of their club. While on the pitch, the team has all too often been dragged towards the drop zone in recent campaigns. But for 90 minutes at the weekend, there's an opportunity to find a ray of light in the gloom. Although Liverpool's strong start to the season means they will, of course, be formidable opponents. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. The international break is over. My top tipping team has been reassembled, starting with Mark O'Hare. Mark, what's the most obscure game you watched over the international break? Oh, God. Um, saw a bit of Bosnia, a bit of Belarus, a bit of Lithuania. Of course you um, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Serbia Montenegro was, was good fun, actually, uh, on the night I think England played Italy. Um, chose that over England-Italy. So, um, yeah, that, that's, um, that was a decent watch. We saw a Mitrovic double then looking sharp still. Yeah, and a nice bit of sort of uh, aggro towards the end as, as the course. two teams self-combusted at times. But yeah, it was, it was good fun. Yeah, Serbia against Montenegro does feel very much like a Marco Hare fixture, actually. Um, <laughs> moving on to this Merseyside derby, which could be combustible as well. Liverpool, I know, haven't won the last couple of games, but you know, for obvious reasons, not easy to go to Spurs. We don't want to dredge all that up again. Not easy to go to Brighton. But in general, do they feel a bit further forward than you thought they might be at this stage of the season? Yeah, pro- probably only just, really. I, I did expect it to take a, a while to click into gear. Um, I think we've seen on occasion how good Liverpool can be, but I still think there are issues to iron out really and um, I know some people before the start of the season felt Liverpool were the the most likely title challengers to to Manchester City Um, I always felt it was going to take time and you know I still think they are in the midst of that that transition especially in midfield it's not a straightforward job to kind of rip out the old and expect the new to fit in right away Uh, injuries haven't helped of course uh, but as good as a football player Alexi McAllister is he's, he's not really a number six to me at the minute and he's having to sort of try and thrive in that position where it's, it's probably not his best and you know it wasn't just the error against Brighton which kind of caught the attention it was the fact he was giving the ball away a bit more often than you expect a player in, in such a controlling position to do so um, yeah it's a difficult role he's playing in uh, when you're asked to sort of uh, receive the ball back to you know, back to the play and, and try and orchestrate things. But I do think uh, with Thiago coming back to full fitness at some point soon, uh, perhaps we'll see Alexi kind of move a little bit further forward. But Liverpool at the minute, they look like they're they're, they're getting there, but they're still they're still continuing this trend of slow starts and sloppy sloppy defensive play and falling behind and having to sort of utilise that firepower and to sort of battle their way back into matches. And it just feels quite like hard work at the minute for for most of their matches when they should be a bit better, I think. And, you know, it's kind of condensed in the fact that they've they've managed just two clean sheets since mid-May across all competitions, at home to Aston Villa and at home to Union Saint-Gerois. And, and their defence from set pieces hasn't been great either. They're giving up shots. They've actually allowed more shots than Forest, Palace, United, 
Fulham and Everton, uh, amongst others. And actually, if you strip out penalties and look at the XG records, uh, Everton would be ahead of Liverpool in the XG ratio rankings after eight games, which is a, a big surprise. And look, I know Liverpool have played some matches with 10 men. I know Liverpool have had injuries and played a, a much tougher schedule than Everton. But, you know, it does sort of beg the question, this Liverpool team aren't quite at the standards possibly people expect them to be at this stage. But I still think they're, they're on the way. You know, We should have Gakpo and, and Schotter available again this weekend. Um, I still think they are rough around those edges in defence and midfield, but Everton at home should um, should focus the minds, really. Uh, it's not a fixture they lose often, especially at Anfield uh, with supporters. Um, I don't tend to value head-to-head records in my sort of day-to-day business, but in Derby fixtures, I do think it, it can carry some significance. And I think psychologically, at least, Liverpool just expect to win this game. Um, they are the superior side. They do have the the better players. Anfield is a fortress, not just to Everton, but to, to most teams, really. Um, go back to pre-season and we build off those numbers that since the start of 2018-19, Liverpool have lost one game at Anfield in front of their own supporters. Um, the six defeats outside of that came during the, the COVID times behind closed doors. So it's a very tough ask for Everton to go to Anfield and get something. I know there's been promising uh, aspects of their performances so far this season. Um, and perhaps they haven't got the points that most of their performances have merited so far. And I thought they were very comfortable against Bournemouth before the break, a Bournemouth team who are struggling. They were very good at Brentford, a Brentford team who haven't been at their best either. So um I did think it was quite telling though Sean Dyche was able to field close to his best 11 against Bournemouth. We had Jack Harrison fit, James Garner included, uh, and they looked good. Um, but I thought Arsenal managed to neutralise them pretty comfortably earlier in the campaign. And as I say, the schedule has been quite kind. So if you look at their toughest fixtures, they do tend to fall short and uh, they have played six teams in 12th and below. So that's not happened too often. But I think if you go back to Dyche's first trip to Anfield, Everton were beaten 2-0. Uh, fairly meekly really Um, I expect something similar to happen here I think Liverpool will dominate possession territory Everton will will sit with a flat back four and and try and soak up pressure and utilise set pieces but um, so I looked uh, at Liverpool to win this game uh, understandably but um, I thought the 5-6 1.83 available for Liverpool to win and under four and a half goals was was quite a nice angle and way into this picture to get Liverpool on side because the goal line set at three and a half which feels quite high for for a Merseyside derby because no matter what state these two teams are in, it tends to be relatively low scoring. I think you go past well over a decade in Liverpool home fixtures that for the last, um, it's happened once actually for Liverpool, Everton matches to, to feature more than four goals. So um, yeah, you know, go back to a sort of routine 1-0, 2-0 Liverpool win. I wouldn't be too surprised. Everton could easily score based on Liverpool's defensive problems, but am I expecting this to sort of escalate into a 3-2 or a 4-1? Not really. I was frankly outraged that another international break has gone by without Malta even trying to find a way to call up odds compiler and tipster Mark Stinchcom. Stinch, from what you've seen, are Liverpool realistic title contenders and will they overpower Everton here? I think, yeah, they're realistic title contenders. I think we've seen with Man City losing multiple games already this season, no chance of them winning the the quadruple um, already. So, you know, that sort of invincibility shield has already been taken away. And I I think City squad is is a little bit threadbare. Uh, I think last time we discussed the losses of Gundogan and and Mares. Yes, okay, maybe long-term Doku, uh, 
will uh, will step up to to Mahrez's absence, but we know how key Gundogan's goals were at the back end of last season, and I don't think that's something that the likes of uh, Kovacic and, and Nunes uh, are going to bring to the fore. So, yeah, I think that's that's quite key. I, I think against Arsenal, uh, I think Haaland failed to have a, a shot or a shot on target um, from from memory. So, you know, if there if you can nullify him, do do you stop City with without De Bruyne on the pitch as well? So, yeah, more more than a, a fair chance of Liverpool being involved in the in the in the title battle, particularly um, particularly uh, with Arsenal there as well, taking points off City. Um, Tottenham have obviously had a very strong start to the season as well, so I think maybe it's a bit more open than uh, than in previous seasons. City uh, five to six now to lift the title from a from a, a short as being one to three only a few weeks ago. So I think there is still a long, long way to go. I still think obviously Liverpool need to address that that holding midfield position. I think that could ultimately uh, be something that does hold them back. Maybe they can address it in January. Uh, but in, in terms of this match, this this is uh, this sort of weekend. I think is is one where I think punters need to be a little bit wary of all these players that have been around the world on internationals and yeah. and the fact that next week we're going straight into Champions League and Europa League competition. So I'm expecting quite a lot of of rotation and resting, not only in pre match but also in play, given that five subs are available to managers so I think it's something to be aware and I think we're going to see a trend as we as we go this week of uh, perhaps betting on games being lower than expected in terms of goals because of um, this rest and rotation uh, and you don't quite get that fluidity that perhaps you would if teams were playing um their full 11 and were were carrying on from from previous weeks um i think and also what that does bring because of these increase in injury time the goal expectancy in terms of how the odds are created has gone up so i think that does give us an, an area to attack with with uh, with taking unders in in certain games uh, i mean you look at just man, man city best team on the planet they've only scored more than 3 goals once so far this season which is kind of unheard of for, for them at this stage of the season you know so yeah, I'm looking at uh, Liverpool to win and, and under 4.5 goals as well. I think generally, you know, previous seasons we've been looking at the big favourite to win and under 3.5 goals. So get that extra goal cushion, I think, is uh, is more than fair. You know, Liverpool are a 3 to 10 to win. Under 3.5 goals is 4 to 6. Under 4.5 goals is 1 to 4. I've mentioned it before. It's not the correct way to price up a match, but uh, if you take Liverpool's win odds of three to ten and under four point five goals at one to four, that comes out eight to thirteen. Well, as Mark mentioned, it's five to six for for Liverpool to win. So you can already sort of uh, make a case for for betting it. I think, uh, but I think one thing that is massive here that Liverpool v Everton is very difficult for Liverpool compared to City v Everton or Arsenal v Everton. The game is just, it's completely different to sort of Everton being cannon fodder as perhaps they have been in previous seasons for, I'd say, the likes of City and Arsenal. This is almost like a, a big six clash for Liverpool. Um, and and it's kind of borne out by the, the history in terms of um, a lack of goals because it has been so tight. I mean, since Jurgen Klopp uh, arrived, 11 of the 17 matches 
matches have seen under 2.5 goals and we're talking about a goal line of 3.5. Uh, you look at Anfield, I was quite surprised to see that 6 of 10 have gone under 2.5. I think we do associate it being very difficult for Liverpool to go to Goodison Park, but perhaps it wasn't um, so obvious that there is still a bit of a shortage in goals uh, when Liverpool play at home and there's only been one game that's gone over 4.5 and, and that was a, a 5-2 victory for, for Liverpool and of course there's no Divock Origi so I think you do have to reduce <laughs> the goal expectancy ever so slightly uh, I'm, I'm with Mark I do think Sean Dyche will will come and play as he did uh, with the visit that they had on a, on a Monday night um, in February earlier this year they had 40% possession uh, they only had 6 shots and created just 0.3 expected goals Liverpool generated 2.3 expected goals in that particular game. So I think it's okay to lean on the fact that we'll see a low scoring game and likely that the the three to 10 favourites will come to the four. Liverpool undefeated in 18 of the last 19 Premier League games and, and have scored at least two goals in six of the last seven. So I think 2-0, uh, maybe 3-0 or perhaps 2-1 or 3-1, I think they are the most likely scores. And, and you're also getting the likes of 1-0 on board as well. So yeah, Liverpool to win under 4.5 goals. And last but not least, tipster, trader, part-time cage fighter, Emmett O'Keefe is with us once again. Everton have won two of their last three in the league, Emmett, but they also lost at home to Luton recently. It's been a very strange start to the season for them, hasn't it? Because we've talked about games they've dominated and haven't won. And then we've talked about games where they've kind of got a better result than you might have expected. So it's all a bit variable for them at the moment. It is, but like you have to say that their attacking production is sensational for a team of their limited resources, I would say. Like if you last season, I know they've had an easy fix for this, admittedly. Last season they averaged one point two five expected goals per game. This season they're averaging over two expected goals a game. Like an average don't have the talent necessarily to be to be create, creating those kind of chances. Like I think as well, like I think probably listeners might have seen this score on social media. They've had more expected goals this season than Man City. And if you'd asked me to price that up pre-season Everton had more expected goals I'd have probably given you 20 to 1 or something like that maybe bigger <laughs> so I think that, that 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 just shows you I think where they're at and I think yeah again maybe it'll revert but I just even looking at the players on, on paper in some of the games we felt Everton last season where they had like Damari Gray up front and McNeil on the wing you felt like just they just didn't have any they didn't have that attacking punch that if, if Dyche wants to sit, sit sit deep as he likes to against the bigger sides they don't have the attacking punch to really make that style of play work I'm not saying they have world beaters up front but I think Jack Harrison is a legitimately decent Premier League wide player who'll get you a reasonable amount of goals shots and assists over a season he's a, definitely better than what they've had before and well, I think his goal really well against Bournemouth as well. Yeah, didn't I, I, he? that was a sign of his quality. I, I, I think he's yeah, he's he, he's a he's a legitimately good player. And like the thing, if you got the Calvert Lewin in any sort of form, and then maybe better than like good options to come off 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 the bench with half an hour to go. I just think they're. They, they are they are a more dangerous proposition and just something there's a couple of negatives I have around Liverpool usually I dismiss this kind of stuff as hocus pocus but Liverpool have last season they drew or lost all 
all of their six early kickoffs after an international break. This season, they had one of those um, early kickoffs after an international break against Wolves. They did win that game, but they were terrible in the first half. Like Wolves easily could have been two up at half time, and Liverpool kind of turned around after uh, after half time. So I just think, and also there's the Andy Robertson loss as well. Like if you were to say the drop off from the starter to substitute, what's the biggest in the Liverpool squad? I would argue it's potentially Robertson to Simicast. I've said this in the podcast. I don't I don't write him at all. I think he's he's not a player who's like at the kind of top six, top seven level. I think I, I think that that definitely been given a new contract, Emmett. I know, but I think I think but, but I don't think that's necessarily a measure of his quality. It's more measure of Liverpool's resources. I think like the and like a lack of investment in, in the in the defense. I think like the and I think if you just look at it, like an Alexander Arnold, Simicast fullback pairing with Van Dyke and Matter, who obviously aren't the force of old, there just is vulnerability there for Liverpool and that they don't have the holding midfield position nailed down. Again, yeah, again, I can I can easily see this game kind of yeah, reverting to a traditional Liverpool Everton game where they Everton don't turn up but they lose in unconvincing fashion. But based on the numbers, based on kind of Liverpool struggles and early kickoffs and maybe and based on a kind of a weak in Liverpool defence, I think there's enough there to suggest that Everton can at least be competitive here. And the way I'd back Everton would be probably both teams to score around one point just just under one point eight in the exchange. I think just I think with, with, with that improvements to Everton's attack, I think they can at least be competitive and maybe be I could even see them seeing them being up at half time before uh, before kind of Liverpool turned around. Nice little range of views there. Worth bearing in mind that Betfair is offering a completely free acker on football this weekend, but you do have to opt in to take advantage of it. Max bet varies from £1 to £10 per customer and applies to any acker between the 19th and the 23rd of October. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus be gambleaware.com. Org. Luton Town have understandably found it hard to make the leap up to Premier League level. Just four points collected from eight games so far. Stinch, do you feel like things are going to get any easier at Nottingham Forest this weekend? I think this is an excellent opportunity for for Luton uh, at the at the prices. I think Forest are quite vulnerable here at eight to thirteen. I don't think anybody out there is genuinely back in Forest and. and thinking that they're getting value at 8 to 13 to beat Luton and, and particularly without uh, Taiwo Wanyi. Um, he's out with a, a groin problem and I wonder where the goals will, will come from without him. Forrest have only scored 46 goals in 46 games since their return to the Premier League and he scored 13 of them, which is almost 30%. But he's only played 46% of those 46, 90 minutes. So he's hardly been involved. He's missed over half the available minutes. And yet he's scoring nearly 30% of their goals. So I think that goes to show their issues. Um, but I don't really want to side with Luton away from home. I do think this season their best opportunity of, of getting rewards is, is, at, uh, is at Kenilworth Road. Albeit, obviously, they picked up a good win away at uh, at Everton, but I do think there is something with this uh, with this tight ground and unfamiliarity for for Premier League stars. And I do think there is potential for them to cause an upset or two at their own place. So I don't really want to get them on side in terms of backing them, but I think the way to the go here is it's sort of oppose Forest is to back under two and a half goals, uh, around about one point eight seven on the exchange, sort of along the similar lines as uh, as the previous game with players having been away and and um and teams not perhaps being quite as as fluid uh, with with that break i mean you look at forest um 
their last 10 games, seven of them have finished under two and a half goals. And this season they've, they've only scored eight in seven games while conceding 10. And, and, and it strikes me when you look at Steve Cooper's uh, team selection, you know, it was a really enjoyable Super Sunday recently. Was it was it Forest v. Brentford? Uh, absolutely yes. fantastic in, enjoyment there. Um, but it, it struck me with his with his team selection that he, he seems to be going for for solidity over flair at this stage of the season. And that particularly if you look at the midfield three of Mangala, Dominguez and Sangeri, like don't really associate any of those with perhaps you know, uh, getting forward and, and grabbing goals. I know Dominguez did score, but I, I would say his remit is more of a, a defensive nature. So I feel like um, his team selection is kind of reflecting what we're seeing statistically, as I say, with the fact Forest's games are low scoring. I think it makes sense, you know, last season their issue was conceding a lot of goals. And we know in football that it is a low scoring game. So if you can keep things tight and nick the odd goal at the other end, that can give you a very good platform for for survival, which is essentially what will be Forest aim again this season. Um, Luton themselves only scored six goals and, and, you know, a third of those have come from the penalty spot. So you can see their struggles there. Um, they've lost six of the eight games, but four of those were only by a, a single goal. So I think they are very capable of keeping it tight. So yeah, happy to bat under two and a half goals around about 1.87. We've talked about Manchester City's struggles, startling run of three defeats in four in all competitions. They've got Brighton this weekend, a side full of quality and endeavour. Emmett, how's this going to go? Because on the face of it, this doesn't look like an easy game for City at all, but we know that they are capable of clicking into top gear and blowing anybody away on their day. So how do you feel this will go? Yeah, no, it's, I think it's a fascinating game, even... Um... As a Man United fan, I think it's a real kind of really sad for the kind of the the English football fans that we have like Sheffield United v Man United on TV at eight PM and this <laughs> and this stuck behind the kind of three PM uh, paywall and with the listeners looking to kind of maybe less than less than legal means of 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 of, of, of kind of source, sourcing kind of a TV feed of this game. Surely not. Surely, Surely not. not. But I, I I do think if you can, it really would be worthwhile. I think like I think there's huge admiration here between the two coaches. I think Guardiola has tried to kind of imitate the kind of deserby tactic of the centre yeah. halves, kind of draw drawing on drawing on the press and kind of uh, kind of exploiting space that way. I think this, yeah, it's kind of a, a meeting of kind of the I think probably I would say fair to say Pep Guardiola, the most influential manager of the last 30 years, I would say. And then potentially kind of a like kind of a, another kind of really innovative coach in in Deserby, who obviously it's early in his career, but in it wouldn't be a surprise to anyone. I think in ten years, if Deserby is regarded as one of the great coaches of this era, the way the way he started at Brighton and the stuff he's done at, at Sassuolo. Um, but getting into this game, yeah, it's a kind of a an off the beaten track bet. It's that guy Erling Haaland. Um, so yeah, I, I think just with Haaland, there's a bit of a narrative around that maybe he hasn't been firing as much this season as uh, as kind of last season. Obviously, like all well, the 36 goals he scored last season in the Premier League, eight of those have been assisted by by Kevin De Bruyne. So I think it's understandable that he's missed him there. But his kind of non-penalty XG and his XG statistics are actually higher this season than they were last season. So I think it's more luck. There's a bit of luck and circumstances behind why he 
why well, he, ha- he hasn't maybe kind of maybe been firing quite on all cylinders in recent weeks. I've said that he's still he's still scored eight eight league goals this season. I just really like the spot from here in the sense that Brighton's Cup scored the most goals in the Premier League this year. I'd expect him to score one, at least one, if maybe not two, against City. So I think that I think that like we've if you look at the goal expectance here, see here you're looking at over over three and over three and a half goals around evens or a shade of odds on. I just I could see this being game where City really do break out and it becomes a little bit of a City get a lot of chance. maybe if City are ahead maybe 3-2 or, or 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 kind of 2-1 with half an hour to go Brighton Brighton unlike a lot of teams will risk an embarrassing defeat to try and get back into a game so that really plays into Haaland's favour so I, I was looking at him here. I wouldn't put anyone off the hat trick uh, at nine to one, but I think the safer play, and I think, is, is, is a very good bet, is a Haaland scored two plus goals at five to two. I think this is a really good fixture for him. I think I, I, I expect him to kind of bounce back and maybe f- finish slightly better than he has in the kind of first eight weeks of the season. Yeah, Mark, our, our kind of trigger response with Brighton games on this show is to go for goals and has been for quite some time for obvious reasons. Um, is that the way you'd go again? Yeah, I think so. Um, there has been a lot of criticism, a lot of inquests, you know, a lot of analysis into what's gone wrong at Man City, um, especially after the Arsenal defeat when they only had those four shots and, and one shot on target. But it, I thought it was a really odd game, actually, for an Arsenal versus Man City match. It, it didn't feel quite right to me for the most part. And I know Arsenal were slightly the better team in a, in a poor standard fixture, but um, if you look at the, obviously the, the the winning goal was a deflection. So if that match had ended nil nil, perhaps there wouldn't have been the same level of of criticism City's way. But regardless, they've had time to to stew over it. They've got a home fixture against Brighton, and I think like Emmett, Brighton's style, Brighton's approach should allow Man City to. I wouldn't say cut loose, but certainly um, show their their mean streak. And having Rodri back from suspension, we think will make all the difference, at least to that midfield. Um, That has been critical. There's no getting around that, is there? You know, they've lost three out of four games and Rodri's been suspended for some of them. I mean, that's, that's not a big shock, is it? I suppose he's so important to the way they play. He is. Um, I, I still haven't been surprised about how, different City do look without him. Um, you'd think a club with all those riches and, you know, have bought players to try and fit that role um, in the last two years or so. And it's just not working whenever, whether it's Calvin Phillips or even if Kovacic is kind of going back into that role, uh, Mateus Nunes, it's not his role, but he can also sort of yeah. fill in there too. But there's no there's no answer really to the question whenever Rodri's out, which is alarming. Uh, but um yeah, I, I do think they'll bounce back in this fixture. They've got pretty much a fully fit squad available to them by De Bruyne. Um, and yeah, I just think they'll have the space, the freedom to express themselves a bit more in this fixture. We know how Brighton will play and you know Pep Guardiola will probably come out in his pre-match press conference and, and heap bundles of praise on Roberto De Zerbi for the incredible job he's done. And that normally means one thing. It normally means Pep Guardiola is quite confident about going into that game because he knows stylistically the other coach is in charge of an inferior side inferior players and they'll play in such a manner which will give City good opportunities he's done it in the past with Bielsa and and many many others too Um, so yeah we know Brighton are very dangerous of course they are but I thought Liverpool were much the better team at the Amex uh, before the international break and should have won that fixture and we've seen Brighton be exposed uh, a couple of times already this season so I think defensively there's massive questions to answer with Brighton this season I believe they're giving up around 1.9 expected goals per game on average which is a shocking figure for a side chase 
chasing a top six finish. Uh, obviously, the the flip side is going forward. They're, they're cavalier, they're adventurous, they're brave on the ball, and um, they're capable from set pieces too. So there's many different ways in which they can hurt you. Transitions, turnovers, uh, and in 40 Premier League games under Deserbi, they've only failed to score four times, averaging 2.05 goals per game, which is incredible, really. Even away from home, they've scored in 18 of 19 away games in the Premier League, averaging two goals per game. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I think Brighton can and will get on the score sheet here. Um, if you look at the four games, they have failed to score in that sample under Zerbi. Uh, three of them came in his first four fixtures. So they've actually failed to score just once in the last 36 Premier League games. But ultimately, this is a tough task for them. And I wouldn't want to play Man City after an international break, having had to stew on a defeat against Arsenal, uh, eager to sort of put the record straight and with Rodri back in the team. So my selection would be Manchester City to win and both teams to score, which comes in at 7-5, which is 2.4, which is a, a really nice boost on the just Man City to win. And and even Man City to win an over two and a half goals is around eight to 11. So um, if you expect City to score three times and win this fixture, um, you know, you're still only getting eight to 11. Uh, at least this way, we get Brighton on the score sheet. City can win 2-1, 3-1 regardless and we get a 2.4 shot. Now, we know injury time goals can be a pain in the pocket if they ruin your bet. So now you've got 90-minute payout to rescue you. If the clock hits 90 minutes and you've got the right result as it stands, your bet wins when the match ticks into injury time. There's a handy FAQ section on our website, betting.betfair.com. T's and C's in the description, 18plusbegambleaware.org. Newcastle were boosted by their remarkable destruction of Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League, but they've already lost three times in the first eight league games. They take on a Crystal Palace team that's just a point and a place, place behind them in the standings. Stinch Newcastle, the 1.49 favourites here on the Betfair Exchange. Does that seem about right to you? Uh, it's not something I would want to back, but I think probably have to respect what Eddie Howe has created um, in terms of how well Newcastle function at both ends of the pitch, essentially, since he's arrived. Very, very efficient at both ends. And and that essentially creates a, a team that uh, when they face sides sort of mid-table to the to the bottom half, that they will be priced up in this fashion. So, yeah, not, not too many arguments with the price. I think maybe you could argue that if they've got one eye on the Champions League next week, then you perhaps would argue that maybe it's a little bit short. Um, but actually, I kind of want to oppose Palace uh, here. Um, I, I would say it looks like Roy Hodgson's returning to type with only seven goals scored and seven goals conceded that sees him in this comfy ninth position. I think over the international break, he'll probably think it's sort of a, a job well done if you look at the table uh, so far. Um, Is Elise's injury a big part of that, though? The fact that they don't have him. Obviously, Zaha went in the summer to Galatasaray, so they haven't quite got that attacking quality they had before. Yeah, I mean, when Hodgson came in at the end of the season, Eze was scoring a, a lot of goals, uh, but he's only scored once this season as well. So I think it's probably still comes back to Hodgson's style of football. There was a lot of made of all the goals in, in Hodgson's return at the back end of last season, but actually that only came in a few games because six of his 10 still finished under two and a half goals. And and actually, if you look at them this season, defensively, they have been really, really good. They've they've only conceded the fifth fewest expected goals, which is better than all of Spurs, Liverpool and United. So I think I think a lot of credit there. But we we did flag it up, I think, in the in the preseason season 
show that with the departure of Zaha, it, it is a big void to fill. Um, you know, there's only three Palace players that have actually scored this season and, and Odson Edwards scored four of those seven. So, you know, it's a big reliability if the sort of the Zaha void is is falling solely on him, if you like. Um, Joachim Anderson scored two from centre-back as well. So again, that's not sustainable. So yeah, I struggle to see where the, the goals are sort of going to come from. But then I also sort of fully respect the fact that defensively they've been they've been good. So yep, similar similar lines that I've already discussed really so far. I'm going to oppose Palace, a low-scoring game, and and back the 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 four to nine favourites to to break through. So you can back Newcastle under three and a half goals at eleven to ten. I, I just think with with Newcastle's firepower, it should be enough to to break through Palace uh, eventually with the likes of uh, Isaac, Callum Wilson, Almiron. I mean, even even Anthony Gordon's looking looking quite good in, in my opinion, and maybe going to fulfil the potential that perhaps he was he was showing at Everton and and uh, perhaps go some way to justify that that huge price tag. So, yeah, with Newcastle having one eye on next week, I think this could easily finish just 1-0 Newcastle perhaps. So, yeah, but having that extra uh, goal line on our side by by throwing in under three and a half goals rather than backing under two and a half and, and not concentrating on a winner, I think Newcastle have got more than a, enough to, to see this one out. Bournemouth still haven't won in the league this term. The pressure is growing on coach Andoni Iraola, who we were all very positive about when he made the move to the Premier League, but it was always going to be tough uh, to bed down those ideas to start with. The Cherries face Wolves this weekend in the Gary O'Neill Classico. Emmett, do we need to cut Iraola a little bit of slack because of the strength of schedule? Because seen all kinds of statistical analyses saying that Bournemouth have literally had the hardest run uh, of any team in the Premier League so far over the first eight games. Definitely, yeah. I think um, there's, there's that as well. I think we kind of pretty discussed as well that it was it was kind of a big shift in style of play in terms of like, in, in, term, in terms of what Areola is trying to do. There's been kind of, I think d- defensively, there have definitely there's definitely concerns. But Ariel has been a bit unlucky, like that in terms of the their expected goals for is um is is kind of ten this season. They've only scored five goals. So he's probably been a, a bit a bit unlucky with, with kind of poor finishing in in that way. Um also I think their process in terms of like they recognize they need to get a sign a proper holding midfielder to implement the style of play. And signing Tyler Adams, I thought was a really shrewd move for, for kind of a relatively small transfer fee, but he's had a kind of Kind of, kind of really bad, kind of nagging injury problems, which has kept him out. It'll keep him out for, for kind of a kind of a, maybe a, a month or two longer, which is kind of disappointing. So I do think he's the kind of player. I think in modern football now, with kind of teams looking to play these kind of free eights in midfield and 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 kind of press so high that holding midfielder position is is really important. It's not just that Man City with Rodri. Obviously, you've seen the money that Declan Rice is going for. You've seen the money that that the kind of Moises Caicedo is going for. I'm not saying Tyler Adams is on that level, but I think he's kind of a whatever. He maybe he may be 60, 60 or 70%. And I think he's a very good player. And I think if they can get him back fit, I think he will knit that style of play together. But this is the, this is a critical game for Ariel. I think if if they were to lose with Gary O'Neill coming back and kind of a John Wick a kind of awkward, revenge, <laughs> revenge role here, yeah, I think it would be kind of embarrassing. I think it would kind of pile the pressure on him. So I think it's kind of, but I think so. But the thing I like, the angle I like here in this game most is the goals angle. 
there's been again in eight Bournemouth matches this year there have been 30 expected goals which is a really high amount 3.75 expected goals per game obviously part of that is the opposition they're playing but I do think it is a kind of a reflection of, of kind of the Areola style, which is quite open, uh, and, and was the case at, at kind of his pre, in his previous clubs as well. Similarly, in eight Wolves matches this year, they've been twenty-eight expected goals, get three and a half a game, so again, really high numbers. I think we're kind of, I think Stinch mentioned this that we are kind of seeing a higher goal average in the Premier League this year because of the because of the uh, exchange extra injury time. So last season, the Premier League. The goal average was 2.85 goals per game, which was actually the highest in the history of the Premier League since it's kind of gone to 38 games. And there was the split in in, in 1992. But this year, through through eight matches, it's it, we're having a kind of a, an average of, of kind of three goals per game. So previously, I think listeners might have been thinking Bournemouth v Wolves, it'll be it'll kind of be a dour struggle. But I think the, the, the goal expected in the league is generally higher. I think these are two of the teams that are kind of an example of that. And getting I think over two and a half goals at kind of around 1.9-ish. I think it's actually actually a bit of value. I'd see this being 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 quite an open game. And as a as a kind of a pro Bournemouth backer on the outright markets, I'm hoping they can kind of uh, get a get a kind of a get get a big win and kind of get get Ariola's kind of tenure really started. So you've raised an interesting point there, Emmett. As somebody who is a trader and and makes markets, how long will it take then for that extra injury time that we have now to feed through into your thinking when it comes to where you set a goal line and what and what odds you should be putting up there? Um, I think the market's like, like the the like the, 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 the market is kind of cottoned onto. I think in a lot of games, if you look at like over two and a half goals in like a lot of in all 10 Premier League matches this season you'll find a lot of them are kind of heavily odds on if you look at kind of West Ham Aston Villa like is is kind of like around 1.6-ish for kind of over two and a half goals like the Tottenham Tottenham Fulham is like it's kind of close to 1.5 so I think among the kind of bigger stronger sides I think you are seeing the market reacting but I'm hoping there's maybe a bit of an edge in maybe some of the smaller sides where the kind of there is maybe kind of a Maybe maybe a, a tradition of kind of lower scoring games, and maybe also maybe they haven't. It's not quite up quite quite up to some of the underlying numbers that the likes of Bournemouth have this year, which is kind of is kind of different from years past and different from maybe what the kind of smaller sides in the Premier League would usually produce. Let's snip to Germany now. I'm going to recommend Niklas Fulkrug to score for Borussia Dortmund against his old club Werder Bremen on Friday night. He's priced at evens on the Betfair Sportsbook. You might get a better price, actually, on the exchange closer to the time if you keep an eye on that. Phil Krug's in great form. He scored in four of his last five games for club and country. He scored for Germany against both the USA and Mexico. He knows those Werder Bremen defenders inside out. I know there is a slight caveat here because he was on that private jet from Philadelphia. He's, you know, there's obviously a fatigue element there. I think he probably will start. So uh, I think against the Verda team that defensively is all over the place at the moment, I think he's got a good chance of making an impact, at least in that first half. Mark, you've got a selection from the German top flight as well. 
Yeah, uh, I like the look of uh, Freiburg to beat uh, Bochum on, on Saturday afternoon. Uh, a shade of under four to five. It's one seventy-eight on the exchange. To me, that looks a really solid option because uh, the last time Freiburg hosted Bochum, they went off at one point five five. So a decent difference. And look, I know Freiburg last year were in contention for a Champions League place uh, and were tremendously consistent throughout the campaign. This time around, it looks a little bit more erratic. But I think if you look a little bit closer at Freiburg's season so far, the defeats that they have suffered have all come against the the current top four. So, you know, look at the rest of their record and it's three wins, one draw, zero defeats, just the one goal conceded. Freiburg at home to me are always a, a, tar, a side to keep on, you know, on, on side. Um, go back to the beginning of last season, their home record, they've got a 60% win rate at home, uh, as well as a 2.00 points per game average. Now, this isn't the way to price football matches, but if you turn that 60% uh, win rate into implied odds, you get 1.67. So there's already a, a decent difference between that and the match odds price. Mm-hmm. And as you said, almost weekly, Kev, Bochum are, are terrible, but they're even more so bad when, away from when they're away from so home. Bad. Yeah. And I, I still... I still don't know how they managed to escape Leipzig with a nil-nil draw before the international Nor do break. I. <laughs> Nor do <laughs> I. I mean, Riemann, the Bochum goalkeeper, saved two penalties for a start. And, I mean, they did. They defended fairly well. Leipzig had an off day, didn't dominate in the way that we thought that they would. But, I mean, you know, seven or eight times out of ten, Leipzig win that game, don't they? Yeah, quite comfortably, I think. So, you know, Bochum... If you go back to the beginning of last year, they failed to score in 11 of 21 away days. They've lost 67% of those fixtures as well. 67% in terms of implied odds would give you 1.5. And if we look at their four away games this season, they've averaged just 0.75 expected goals, but they've allowed 3.15 XG per game on average, which is a negative negative supremacy differential of 2.4 expected goals per game, which is a huge amount. And you know, across all venues, no side is facing more shots, more shots shots on target, more shots in the box than Bochum. So I just think Freiburg are the kind of streetwise team to, to open them up and, and make their chances pay. So I think to get them close to four to five is a is a really nice price. It's one of my better bets of the weekend, actually, because uh, as I said, the last time these two met, it was 1.55 in Freiburg and they won it quite comfortably. I would fully agree with that. Now it's time for the world-famous podcast treble a feature so popular that hollywood producers lining up to make a film about the tipsters involved mark o'hare has already modestly tipped colin farrell to play him in the film uh stinch by the way what's the short list for who might play you if you had to think of a few people who might play you in the film leonardo Bonucci. leonardo Bonucci. i thought you're gonna say leonardo dicaprio and then out of nowhere uh, Lee, I mean, I suppose you could say he's an actor. I mean, he's finished. Ways. He's he's finished as a player, so I think he needs to quickly get another career. So that's all. Okay. That, that's what I'll put him. He'll he'll play me. I like that thinking outside the box. That's good. Of course, Benucci's played most of his stuff in the box, but there we go. Uh, <laughs> Emmett, who's playing you? You must have thought about this, surely. Um, definitely haven't haven't thought about it too much. I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to let you yeah, think yeah. while we do the podcast treble. Perfect. And I'm going to let you think while we do Scott Watch, and then I'll come back to you. Okay. And we can have this short list. So Colin Farrell and Leonardo Benucci uh, to start off the film. Wonderful stuff. Uh, how this works, by the way, uh, we do have a betting feature at the end of all this. Uh, each of the three guys come up with a selection ahead of the weekend's action. And lovely traders like Emmett here wrap them up for you in a boosted treble. Stinch, I will start with you. 
Yeah, under three and a half goals, Liverpool v Everton. I, I mean, I'd probably be happy to sort of back under two and a half goals. As I said, 11 of the 17 uh, derbies since Klopp has arrived to finish under 2.5 goals. So to get that extra goal, I think is is very nice. And as Emmett mentioned, Liverpool have struggled in these multiple lunchtime kickoffs that they've had under Jurgen Klopp. Mark, what have we got for us? Freiburg to win, please. Yeah, I would agree with that. And Emmett, take us home. Yeah, I've... I'll go with yeah. We we have a selection for the for the cool kids on Sunday. So I've kind of Mon- Monaco to win and over two and a half goals in the match. Um, I think we'll. Which like I'll, I'll give the reasoning for if you listen to the next the next podcast. Yes, all the cool kids must tune in for the Sunday show. Now it's the moment that you've had to wait patiently for throughout the international break. It is Marco Hare's Scott Watch. Oh, aye. Escort watch. Mark, take it away. Sure. Uh, Scottish League One this weekend, Annan Athletic versus Queen of the South. Uh, just a point separates these two teams. Annan are actually just one place off the bottom. Uh, Edinburgh City are having a, a torrid time at the bottom of the table, comfortably rock bottom. Annan are second bottom, but there are three other clubs within two points of Annan Athletic, one of which is Queen of the South. So quite a big game at the bottom. Uh, I wouldn't trust either team to pick up a result in the match odds perspective or even the handicaps. But I do think there's decent value to be had in goals for this game with over two and a half and BTTS paying 10 to 11. I think that's well worth a look considering we have two, uh, sorry, the second and the third worst defensive records on show plus two sides who will give it a good go because this is a derby fixture in Dumfries and Galloway. Uh, Only been played once before in league history, uh, but uh, they both were very much up for it uh, when they played back in August. It ended in a 3-1 win to Queens. Something similar wouldn't be too much of a surprise. Both teams have scored in seven of their nine respective games. If you look at the matches, they failed to score. Uh, Both teams actually failed to score away at Falkirk, who are one of the sort of runaway teams at the top end of the division so that's understandable both teams are in the top half in terms of shots and shots on target attempted and between them they've played uh, 18 games uh, or nine rounds of football each they've managed just one clean sheet between them so I think that's a pretty solid base for a BTTS bet and as far as overs go uh, that selection has clicked in seven of nine for each team with three six. 367 goals per game in terms of Annan's matches and 344 goals per game for Queen of the South games. In fact, half of their combined 18 matches have seen over three and a half goals. So I think uh, we've got a decent chance of having a, an entertaining game. So Culture Corner with a focus on Annan Athletic, which is uh, quite a new club by Scottish standard standards. They were formed in the 1940s and they competed in the junior football and even actually the, the English regional leagues before becoming a, a member of the Scottish Football Association in 1978 which made them eligible to play in the Scottish Cup for the first time. They have always been pretty successful in the lower leagues before they finally got acceptance into the SFL back in 2008. And in May of this year, they enjoyed their first ever promotion as a Scottish Football League club via the playoffs to play at this level now. So, yeah, this is the highest ever competing level they've played at in the Scottish Pyramid. Um, but in terms of Annan, it's quite a small town, population of just 8,000. There's not a huge amount to sort of recommend or highlight, but uh, Ashley Jensen <laughs> from Extras. Is that, is, is that what they put on the tourist board uh, well, there's, pamphlets? 
it's coming up. The, the good stuff is coming up good, in terms of canon. There may not be any sort of landmarks, but there's some great stories. Um, Ashley Jensen from Extras and Ugly Betty is from Annan. Uh, um, okay. But the, uh, the interesting thing for me, um, I actually quite enjoyed this. I'll try and keep it short, but... Basically, the A75 uh, runs between Annan and Dumfries, um, Queen of the South, Herald from Dumfries, Annan obviously from Annan. So many fans will be going along this road to the game. The A75 between the two towns <laughs> is known to be one of the most haunted roads in the whole of Great Britain. Um, so I thought, as we're approaching Halloween, <laughs> um, people might want to know that. So, yeah, that route is said to have had more reports of supernatural activity than most roads in the country, um, with the Kinmount Strait on the road, the most notorious spot for, for sightings. Um, you could even take a ghost tour on that road if you've got the minerals for it. But, um, yeah, apparently there have been, and I quote, screaming hags, eyeless phantoms, and a meandering of unearthly creatures witnessed <laughs> with one of the most infamous sightings back in 1962. And again, I'll quote because the report of it is it's just golden content. These people were driving along here and the whole incident began with a large hen flying towards the windscreen of the car. They Wonderful. then witnessed great cats and various other creatures, as well as witnessing a phantom furniture van, <laughs> which is a bit unusual to say the least. <laughs> um, there's another geezer who said he... furniture van? Yeah, that's extraordinary. So, so bizarre. But there's a, a geezer as well who was quoted. Um, he used to run a road snide, um snack van very close to the, the hotspot. Um, and he said there was very rarely a week that went by without somebody telling him about a new experience that they'd endured. And he said a lot of traumatized lorry drivers used to park up overnight in the nearby laybys. And um, yeah, they used to... Um, be uh, horrified by what they saw through the nights and apparently one lorry driver was so <laughs> shocked bet. and traumatised uh, he gave up lorry driving altogether uh, after seeing wow. dejected, bedraggled people pulling handcarts or carrying bundles of straw like medieval camp followers, all very strange. So that's Scott Watch, uh, Anna Athletic and the Haunted A75. Well, I did not expect that. Haunted hens and a spooky Scott watch. That is absolutely extraordinary. It's the furniture van that's got my mind whirring. Who was driving the furniture van? Was it the haunted hen kind of on the steering wheel? This is all tremendous stuff. Uh, Emmett, I'm, I'm sorry that you now have to follow this with who's going to play you in this uh, in this podcast treble film. But who have we got? Definition of a hard act to follow. Yes, I was looking for someone with a bit of girth like myself, <laughs> and so I was the kind of yeah the two I had I, yeah Jonah Hill I considered like kind of thinking of his role in Moneyball, but okay. he's had a few he's had a few issues in his last few years, and he's a bit of an unlikable character. So I crossed him off the yeah. list. Good, um, good. Yeah. So it, again, he's he's actually he's he passed the last couple of years, but he, a young Robert Coltrane. I think there's a bit there's kind of bit of a bit of a resemblance. The listeners might remember from Harry Potter. I do kind of I like him as a character. I think I kind of a young Robert Coltrane, and that this is a very ambitious one as well. But I don't know if any the listeners might have seen kind of an old, slightly more heavier version of Matt Damon and Oppenheimer. I think that version of Matt Damon <laughs> could maybe play the own Jason Bourne. Obviously not. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Wonderful. So we've got uh, Matt Damon, we've got Colin Farrell, and Stinch, who did you say? 
Reminds yeah, Leonardo, me. Leonardo, de Leonardo Bonucci, not Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio. This, this, this is going to happen, people. We're going to get this thing together. You think this is just fantasy casting. We're actually going to get this thing moving. Uh, that's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. We've got the Sunday show coming up with Premier League games and other games around Europe as well. And early next week, we're going to be looking ahead to the Champions League games and some of the other European matches that week. From Emmett, from Mark, from Stinch and from me, it's goodbye for now.